Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Paul McCartney to my John Lennon. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Yes, that's right. They're comparing themselves to the Beatles now. We are the Championship Beatles. Justin, a question for you. Oh, no, didn't expect this one. <laughs> Good. What connects <laughs> Erling Haaland, Dan James and Dame Judi Dench? It would have been a height thing, but is it that they were all in, oh, I forgot that ITV drama, that period drama, so my joke's gone now. Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey, yeah, I nearly said Downing Street, which is clearly not right. Does Erling Haaland look like a character from Downton Abbey? Yeah, it could be, it could be. It's um, put on a put on a butler outfit for him and he can do stuff around the house. I don't know, I don't know what goes on in that show. Dan James does. Dan James looks like a servant of uh, someone who works in Downton Abbey, where, mm. of course, Judy Dench is, you know, the boss of the house, I guess. I never watched Downton Abbey either. I don't know what happens. But that's not the right answer. The answer is they were all born in Yorkshire. How about that? Uh, Erling yeah. Haaland, born in Leeds. Dan James, born in Hull, despite playing for Wales. Surprising. And Judy Dench, born in York. Huh. I was more surprised about Dan James, to be honest with you. I thought he was, mm. was Welsh-born and bred, but... He isn't. He's he's not. Could have said something yeah. there, but he isn't. <laughs> yeah, Erling Holland, I think everyone knows by this point that he was born in Leeds. But he won't get any England team ahead of Harry Kane, would he? And that's the most important thing. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's a midweek episode and we've got plenty of news for us to discuss, including a couple of new managers in the old championship. So we'll talk about that as well as a couple of other bits of newsy bits. Talk about Rotherham v Ipswich from Tuesday night. A bit of a shock result there at the New York Stadium. And then we'll do our previews for the weekend just tonight, making our predictions for the championship this coming weekend. So let's kick things off with Bristol City's new manager. It's Liam Manning, the Oxford United boss, impressed at the League One side after taking charge in March. And what do we think of this peachy boy? Yeah, I saw some supporters suggest his name a few weeks back and I, I nodded my head in approval behind my phone while I sat on my sofa. I was like, you know, I like that appointment. Um, and then it all went quiet and then we saw Frank Lampard and what have you uh, linked. And, um, uh, you know, eventually it happened. And I think it's um, I think it's a good appointment. I do like Liam Manning. I, I do think that spell last season with MK Dons, I think is, is not fair to judge him on. I think, yeah, they, he had a lot of issues there. That he sold the likes of Harry Darling, Scott Twine, that, both were key players um, and the players that came in were really poor and just given a, a bad hand but it, 
he's shown that he can he can bounce back and go again, keeping Oxford in the division last season and then pushing them to the top of the table this season. His play is expansive, it's brave, it comes with risks, but I think in two of his three seasons now he's he's had teams in the top six of League One with significantly lower budgets. So ticks all the right boxes and he's a progressive appointment. So it's it's um yeah, it's it's a good appointment from from my point of view. Yeah, and I really like it as well. I think it's an exciting forward-thinking appointment. He's had a rather crazy but impressive rise in coaching. <laughs> He's gone from West Ham's youth setup mm. to Belgium to MK Dons to Oxford and now Bristol City. But he's done incredibly well in that time. He did such an amazing job at MK Dons that he was getting linked with loads of championship clubs in the summer before the last. And it did go all a bit Pete Tong in his second season there. But I think that was more down to the club mm. rather than him. And then since coming in at Oxford, he's done very well. They've had a brilliant start to the season. But the thing is, he's an extremely progressive forward-thinking manager, plays lovely football, and he's exactly what the club said they wanted. Completely fits the bill. It's a long-term appointment, and I'm already feeling so much more positive about Bristol City's future after this move. Are you, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a he's a really talented coach. And, and like we said, that, that spell last season, it just seemed a bit of a... Um, you know, bump in the road for him because he's he's shown again that he is a talented, talented head coach, talented manager, and his, his style of play does work. It does click. Of course, he's going to have. I think he's going to have a couple of problems with Bristol City because they're not the team and squad haven't been suited to play that style for for a while. So yeah. it's it's going to be a transition for them. But you know, I like I like the things that he said in his um in his, his not his pre match con- press conference, but his, his reveal. Like I said, he's he's, he's got a good style of play he gets the best out of players he improves players Scott Twine is a really good example that's something I wanted to say Justin because that's one big big plus with him he's got a great record of developing young players he's credited with playing a big part in Declan Rice's development (laughs) at West Ham's academy and had a very young side at MK Dons with several players who took their game to a new level under him most notably Scott Twine another one's Matt O'Reilly who's tearing it up at Celtic now so Bristol City have loads of young players who will benefit a lot from having him as their manager. So that this is why this is a spot-on appointment for me. Well, you pretty much nailed it again. Uh, it's just it's just the right way to go about it. You can start. You can revert to type, and when you reveal the shortlist or or the the the, the highest odds or the more favourite odds uh, the other week of John Eustace, Gary Rowe, and Nathan Jones, I wasn't particularly inspired by it. And obviously, Frank Lampard's name came in. It's just like. If this is the list, then yeah, com- yeah, really disappointing because it's not the way I wanted Bristol City to go. And I think Liam Manning is his style of play is gonna it's gonna surprise quite a few people who may not may not be aware of his work with Oxford and, and Quedons over the last couple of years. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, the other managerial appointment which has been confirmed over the past few days is Joe Edwards at Millwall. He's been appointed their new head coach. Uh, Justin, any further thoughts on that? You said it was risky. At the yeah. weekend, yeah, still a little sceptical. Uh, so I'd, I'd be happy to see how it goes. Not going to criticise it, but I would, I would have had edged with experience with this one. But we all know my stance on it. I think the key difference for me is Edwards not having experience as a first team in a first team environment as a head coach. I know there are lots of examples of that being the case and it working, but they've all had bigger budgets and better, deeper squads. Yeah, but Justin, Justin, it isn't technically every managerial appointment risky. Well, yeah, it is, but. It's the level of risk, isn't it, that comes with it? And I think Joe Edwards presents a higher level of risk than perhaps an Ethan Jones, which is what I would have gone with at this point. But 
I've said my piece on it. Um, I do think it's I do think it's a risk. I am skeptical of it, but I, as I say, I'll be happy to see how it goes. Well, that's good to hear. Glad you've somewhat changed your tune well, from the weekend. Have you have you not changed your tune? Well, I've just said I'm still a little skeptical, so no, I haven't. I'd just be ha- I'd just be happy to see how it goes. I'm not going to bang the drum and bang the door like this is an outrage. Hi, Nathan Jones. Now I'm not going to get the train down to down to London and bang on the door of the new den anytime soon. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. I do think it is interesting because I I completely agree with you on the Nathan jo- Jones point. Uh, I reckon he would have been the uh, ideal appointment for Millwall, really. Um, but I do like, the, I really, really do like the Joe Edwards appointment because I think it's exciting, it's a risk and they are, they've got a chance now to take a risk on potentially having a really good young coach at their disposal now. I do think it's interesting what this means for Nathan Jones now, because if he's not getting the Millwall job, then what club is he going to get? Nathan Jones will be a success somewhere. I, I'm I'm sure of that. He just needs the right club. Sure. Millwall was the right club, but there are plenty of clubs in Millwall shoes. But I just want to go back to your previous point about the appointment. You're excited by the appointment, but are you excited by the appointment appointment or are you excited by Joe Edwards? I struggle to see the difference. Well, just the way you phrased it, it sounded like you were excited because he was a young progressive coach as opposed to it being Joe Edwards. Because I, I, I'm, I again, I'm, I'm bringing it back to his CV. I don't think his CV is as deep and convincing as the like as Daniel Farker's. Do you mean when Daniel Farker took over at Norwich or you mean now? Uh, at Norwich. When you're appointing I mean, a young coach. He's got, he's, he's got a bigger CV than Daniel Farker at the time because Daniel Farker had only been working with... You know, Dortmund's second team, hasn't he? Whereas Joe Edwards has been working with Thomas Tuchel. Did he, I think he won the Champions League with Thomas Tuchel as well, didn't he? Being part of the England setup as well. That's a pretty handy CV in my view. But look, I think Millwall are a club which has a lot of potential. And sometimes getting in a young progressive coach like Edwards can get the potential out of them. Because he could be a, a diamond in the rough. He could be, you know, a coach which just doesn't work out. And that's fine if it doesn't work out because Millwall aren't going to go down. The worst that can happen for them is they finish in the bottom half of the championship this season. And if that happens, they go again. Um, but as I was saying at the weekend, you're having a trend now of, you know, clubs taking a chance on these young coaches and it working out more often than not. Kieran McKenna, Michael Carrick, I mean, Mick Beale technically, worked when he initially came in at QPR. You turn your nose at him now, but it didn't work initially. Uh, Steve Cooper, I could go on. Mm. There's a trend of this working more often than not, and that's why I think it's more than worth the risk, in my view. No, okay. They're, they're, they're good points. I th- again, I do think budgets do play a part, and I think Millwall are a unique example, but I'll take your point on board, and we can move on and see how it goes. I just also wanted to say, I had a few QPR fans say, well, why do you think this is a good appointment, but not Sifuentes? Yeah, point. Well, they're in completely different situations, is the point, as I said. That. Millwall, if they take a gamble and it doesn't work, they'll finish in the bottom half. Fine, they go again. If QPR take a gamble and it doesn't work, they're in League One. It's not even comparable. In, yeah. in my view. So that's what I'd say on that. Uh, the Telegraph is reporting Liam Rosinha has been offered a new contract by Hull City. He currently has a deal until the end of next season and has apparently been attracting interest from other clubs. Mm. But a well-deserved new contract, Justin? Yeah, I, I believe it is. I, I, I sit here with sort of two faces to it. I am absolutely buzzing for him because he's a talented coach. 
um, he's he's shown that he's a talented coach. He's, he's clearly a great human being as well, but also devastatingly bitter that <laughs> that he that he moved on from Derby. It's frustrating, but certainly deserved. You've only got to look at his record since he joined Hull. And it's just a shame it wasn't earlier in uh, Akinola Carly's reign, so he could have shaped recruitment the recruitment surge in that summer with a little bit more finesse, uh, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, what, what the squad actually needs as opposed to signing pretty much every everybody they possibly sign um, and then dealing with it at a later date, which Rossini is still doing. But it's a transition, it's progressing well in my opinion and whilst they will go through the motions at times, he's proving to be one of the most talented coaches in the NFL. Yeah, I completely agree. I'll keep saying it again and again. Liam Rossini is a manager with a lot of potential and is 100% the right man to lead the project at Hull. Trust the process has never been a more apt phrase than with Hull City right now under Liam Mazzini, has it? It's it's easy to forget that this time just over a year ago, Hull were in danger of going down. Mm. Now they're looking upwards and a lot of that is down to the work of Rosini. If you've got a coach who's taking you in the right direction like that, you've got to stick with him and back him, taking them from relegation candidates to challenging for the playoffs. It's almighty impressive. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad Hull are doing that, sticking with him, giving him backing. There were murmurs at the end of last season that they may be getting a bit tetchy around him, which just seemed ridiculous. But now it seems like they've got their head screwed on and are willing to give Rosini time and recognise him as the man to lead the club into the future. And that's good to see. David Wagner set to take charge of Norwich's game against Cardiff this weekend. The Eastern Daily Press say the club's hierarchy have held talks over his future. Meanwhile, Norwich have brought forward the transition period between sporting directors. The new one, Ben Napper, will start next Monday, while the current one, Stuart Webber, will leave the club after the Cardiff game this weekend. That's important because the main reason it seems that Wagner hasn't been sacked yet is because of this transition between sporting directors. So, I think it's fair to assume unless Norwich pull off an incredible performance against Cardiff, it will be David Wagner's last game. Do you think that's the case, Justin? Odds have been against him for the week. I mean, we said jokingly, didn't we, that he's got the safest job in the Championship because there's no one around to sack him. Turns out it's a little bit true, isn't it? It's quite quite an appalling state. It sounds like the club have kind of admitted it as well. Yeah, they've admitted it and gone, actually, shit, we need to we need to get our asses into gear here. Ben, can you come off your holiday, please? It's it's a damning state, an appalling state to be in for a football club of any level, really. Um, which sounds it sounds quite harsh, but it's it's quite it's strictly true that the, the club needed a reset. The club probably needed to make this move a long time ago, um, which I'm sure we'll get onto um, later on. But it's just a, a ridiculous situation and scenario that Norwich City, who were one of the best run clubs at one point. Um, that they've put themselves in and they put themselves in because they've been passive and they've allowed it to happen rather than taking action early, which they just haven't. And now they're in a mess. Yeah, you can say that again. To be honest, I'm surprised they even giving Wagner the Cardiff game because let's be honest, if Ben Napper took charge this week, would Wagner still be there? Of course he wouldn't. So why are they dicking about? Um, they may as well have just sacked him, put a caretaker in charge for this game. They probably have more chance of winning, which is the most important thing. Yeah. But it, it does seem like this will be Wagner's last game. And I hope Napper's already got a replacement in mind because he's certainly had enough time to think about it, hasn't he, with this crazily long transition that we've been seeing. Meanwhile, the website Team Talk is reporting Frank Lampard is higher on the list of candidates <laughs> to replace David Wagner. Sounds like someone's agent is working overtime, doesn't it? And... Um, 
let, let's talk about Stuart Webber though, just been Justin, because this will be it at, after the weekend. That'll be the end of the Stuart Webber era at Norwich, and it's been quite the ride, hasn't it? He's probably been the most high-profile sporting director in the Championship over the past few years. Not always for the right reasons, but if you had to summarise that era, how would you do that? I think it depends what period you look at and assess. I think if you look at 2017 to 2019, I think very positive. If you'd have left after that spell, you know, his stock's very high in my opinion. But for me, if you look at what's happened in the last, well, 2019 to now, four years, it's quite staggering how 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 much Norwich have dropped off. They've sacked their head coach, head coach about a long-term plan. They spent money on what I will describe as utter dross. He's, he's hired his friend. Um, and obviously he's not had a, yeah, the, the long-term plan thing is, is a big thing. But for me, yeah, as I say, that Weber, um, I think if you look at the last four years, it's, it's been a quite an appalling, appalling record as a sporting director. I probably should have been sacked 12 months ago or at least moved on 12 months ago. And, the reason why Norwich are in the state they're in now is because he hasn't. They haven't had any continuity or longevity in their planning. It's all been short-term reaction-based planning, which is exactly why a sporting director is in place. So you avoid that. So his job's been wasted for since Farker was sacked, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you've put it very well, Justin. It, it started off magnificently well, ended very sour. And... Lucky played a blinder initially, appointing Daniel Farker, signing Timo Puki and Emi Brandia, amongst others, Norwich City legends, really. And he's the main reason they got to the Premier League twice. He's also partly the reason why they didn't stay in the Premier League twice, and the main reason why Norwich are now the furthest away from the Premier League they've been in over a decade. His recruitment has become increasingly more questionable, and then the appointments of Dean Smith and David Wagner have been fairly disastrous. He's also not helped himself with comments about mm. women's football and just generally seeming seemingly showing less and less interest in Norwich. So in summary, Stuart Webber's Norwich career is like the Will Smith film Hancock. The first half was great. The second half was fairly diabolical. Um, I've got nothing else to say, Justin. <laughs> Interesting film to bring up. One, one thing I want to point out is, is recruitment. Um, recruitment in the first two years was purposeful, wasn't it? The squad was built around um, a style of play, whereas I know people will point out, well, we signed Gabriel Sara. Yeah, it's a good signing, but he's not... Spent a lot of money, though. Spent a lot of money, fair enough. It's a good signing, though. Clearly, he's got quality, but we're seeing now that the club, or the team, is not set up to play in and around Gabriel Sara. It's, it's, it's like a hot, a hot knife with butter in the midfield, isn't it? It's just... Everything's cleaning straight through it. He's not built a squad that is suited to um, develop uh, around the quality of players that it has. Um, and that's why we're seeing issues now. It's been square peg, square peg, square peg. Kenny, play, Kenny McLean alongside Gabriel Sara. Oh, that'll work. You don't need a ball winner in there alongside Sara. No legs in defence. Ben Gibson, Shane Duffy. We'll play high line anyway. It's just, it's just a mad, mad situation. Yeah. And this summer in particular seems to show that there's no plan for Norwich's future, signing Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes, etc. And then alongside them, players like Boya Saeeds, Christian Fasnacht. What is the plan here? It doesn't seem consistent at all, does mm -hmm. it? So that's why a change had to be made. Um, 
We'll finish off with some transfer news, Justin, shall we? Team Talk is reporting Villarreal are willing to let Ben Brereton Diaz leave on loan in January with various championship clubs said to be interested. Who would he be a good signing for, Justin? What kind of level club are we looking at here? He's got 38 goals in two years, which is a great return at a championship level. So you'd argue that he'd improve every single squad in a division. But I'd be looking, if, if you're a playoff chasing team, Certainly, want to, you want to take a gamble or at least inquire about the potential acquisition of, of, of LBBD. I think if you've got a team who like to play on the counter-attack um, who can mix their game up quite nicely and have had a manager who um, Brereton Diaz has worked under before, then maybe that's the um, that's the way forward. Of course, I'm alluding to Sunderland. I think that's a perfect fit. That would make my mouth water. It is a clinical forward. So you meant Blackburn. I'm forward. not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> You really um, you, you throw a curveball there by throwing Sunderland in. Well, I don't, you know, Blackburn might work, but I think finances might dictate that. Whereas Sunderland, I think, have a little bit more leeway in their budget. Um, so I'd be looking at a club like Sunderland who are looking to, yeah, get into the top six and they need that clinical forward. But I think he's destined for to remain as a top flight player, at least for another six months. I'm not sure about that personally. I did say when he left, I wasn't sure about him. He's not a player I looked at and thought he's too good for the championship. So I'm not surprised that it's not been working out for him so far at Villarreal. He's still a very good player at this level and will be a great signing for three quarters of championship sides. I struggle to be convinced about his quality at the top level though. Um, maybe a decent player to come off the bench for a Premier League side or the three relegated teams this season. Uh, I had to think about which club would be best for him and I reckon West Brom would be a superb move for him. It still feels like they're missing a regular goal scorer and he'd suit Carlos Corbran's style. The big problem is, can they afford to sign anyone? Probably not. So maybe West Brom is unlikely, unfortunately. If not them, the Middlesbrough would be a shout. That would I be reckon. a great shout. Yeah, well, even a just a return shout. to Blackburn would be a good move. So wherever he goes, I'd be, intri- I'd be intrigued wherever he went in the championship. Whether it actually happens or not is a, is another thing. But I would like to see him back in a, in the second tier. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Rotherham v Ipswich from Tuesday night and then make our predictions for the weekend. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the second tier 
podcast. Two late goals for both sides saw Rotherham and Ipswich draw 2-2 on Tuesday night. This was a rearranged game after it was postponed a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Hmm. During a storm babette. A disappointing result for Ipswich, though, isn't it? It felt like Connor Chaplin had a hundred good chances and didn't get any of them on target. I remain more concerned about what's going on at the other end, though, Justin, because they're shipping an awful lot of goals, aren't they? For a side aiming for promotion, they've now conceded two or more goals in five of their last six games in the League and Cup. Just two clean sheets in 10 games. It's a worry, isn't it? Yeah, this was a side that were very good defensively last season as well, and it doesn't seem to have come into um, come into the championship and whilst they've been scoring goals creating chances etc yeah this has been this has been a, a little bit of a problem this is why I was so so you know, hesitant of getting onto this tractor of yours didn't want to jump so straight already in. on it yeah I'm already on it but it's just like I'm, I'm looking past each stop and I'm like oh I don't know should I should I get off should I press the button if there is one just I don't know if there is. isn't a stop it's just plowing through everything it's too quick to get off now yeah, I suppose it's not a bus. It's my fault, but you are right. The defensive problems are are an issue. They were they weren't particularly tested in this game, so this might be a bad example. But they have been shipping chances as well in certain games. I think the the other thing is well, three worst performances have come against Rotherham, QPR, and Huddersfield this season. They cannot afford for that allow they cannot allow that to seep into other games where they are going to get tested by teams who aren't going to be battling relegation this season. So. Yeah, it was disappointing. It was frustrating. I think going forwards as well, there's a lot of rash decisions, a lot of rushing, like the usual drive down the right-hand side, meant a more reliance on Leif Davis. So it just looked a little bit off balance against Rotherham. A bit of a weird one. It's a bit weird, isn't it, that they've dropped points to Huddersfield and Rotherham now, mm. but beaten pretty much everyone else. What's the opposite of a flat-track bully? A, a flat-track nice person. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. That seems to be what Ipswich have become this season. Um, but when you look at it, last season, Sheffield United conceded 39 goals. Ipswich have let in half of that already, mm. not even a third of the way through the season yet. The strange thing is, you look at the underlying data, that indicates they're not giving away a boatload of chances. And the keeper, Kladke, is statistically the best performing keeper in the division so far. So... How does that make sense that they're conceding so many goals? I don't really know. Perhaps they've just been really unlucky and opposition strikers have morphed into Harry Kane specifically to play Ipswich. I don't know. I suppose the question is, does it necessarily matter if they're Mm. conceding as many goals as they are, if they're going to continue picking up points? Yeah, I think it does. I think you need to be defensively resilient consistently if you're going to finish in that top two, obviously it depends where the aspirations are, but I think Kieran McKenna will be thinking we've made this brilliant start. We can't let it go to waste. We have to raise our standards and, and, and they do. They have to raise the standards, which is quite astonishing to say because they've been brilliant so far. Yeah, I think you mean raise the standards at the back, don't you? Because yeah, it's, it's the standards can't be raised much more than they already no, have. No, no. It's about that balance, isn't it? You've got to raise the standards at the back to, um, to create that equilibrium within the within the within the setup and they've got the quality of player to do it. Perhaps it's maybe a little bit of inexperience in their defence at a championship level, but that's that's me stretching. Um but they've they have they have got the quality to turn it around. It's just about being consistent and allowing those standards to be um you know something that's off the cuff, something that's a normality for this for this team. At the moment I think they're still riding the crest of the wave. Well let's talk Rotherham because this is a cracking result for them, isn't it? And we have been seeing better showings from Rotherham 
haven't we? They played really well against Ipswich, really well against Coventry, all right against QPR at the weekend. It's better because prior to the last international break, we hadn't seen much at all from them. Have they? Mm. They, they were playing pretty poorly, if we're being yeah. completely blunt about it. But since the last international break, we've seen signs, haven't we? Yeah, there, there have been glimpses of what what could be for this season for Rotherham. It's just whether or not it's come too late. And I know a lot of Rotherham fans have been frustrated with Matt Taylor and his tactics in, in recent weeks. It's It perhaps seems a little bit harsh because he's had injuries to deal with, but they've just signed Daniel Ayala, which I think is a decent pickup. There's a little more experience at the back and Sam Klukas has come in as well. So there's, again, there's more experience and a little bit more quality midfield as well with him. So there's potential there to develop. I think um, you look at uh, Dolphin, for example, in defence against Ipswich yesterday, he was he was brilliant at the back. There, there's a lot of positives to take in Christ A as well. Um, was was good. So there's players that are definitely informed. Sam Nombie getting his first goal, I think, was important. Um, and it was a well-worked goal as well. They pressed, they pressed Ipswich, they pressed them high. They took a gamble, they took a risk, it paid off. It's just about being brave and doing that more... Um, more productively in a game. And I think they will surprise teams because they've got players who will make teams uncomfortable. Jordan Hugo, for example, when he came on, ruffled ruffled a few feathers. Sam Nombe, I think if he gets his goal, he can he can hopefully build the confidence to, to, to keep going. There's certainly quality in the squad. It's about being brave and I don't think they've been brave enough this season. I hope at some point this season we have a defence made up of Lee Peltier, Sean Morrison and Daniel Ayala. Just make the oldest defence possible. Mm. Because I would trivia question that, that is AC Milan from the mid two thousands, isn't it? <laughs> Championship <laughs> um, version. Yeah, exactly. Um, I am still very worried about them being able to score enough goals over the course of the season. Like, that's the big concern for me. But as long as we're seeing some form of improvement, it's better than what we were getting. I can say that for sure because I thought they could get relegated without much of a fight prior to the mm. last international break. That may still happen, but we're seeing signs of life. And as long as we're seeing that, that's enough for me at this stage. Let's have a look ahead to the weekend then, Justin. So in each preview episode of the second tier, just night, we'll each pick a banker. We think a team which is guaranteed to win this coming weekend as well as an outsider. So someone we think is going to win, but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. So we're tracking how we do as the season goes on. It's one point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit. Justin will have to do a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. Meanwhile, I'll be doing a CrossFit workout for myself, which Justin has told me will be vomit-inducing. The current scores for the season are 15-12 to myself. I managed to reopen a gap after Blackburn beat Norwich on Sunday. So thank you, Blackburn, for giving me a bit of breathing space. But let's what let's hear what you have as your banker for the weekend, Justin Peach. I've gone with Hull to beat Huddersfield at home. It's hard to predict which Hull side will turn up um, for this one, mainly because they have been a little bit inconsistent over the last few weeks. But I do believe this is a more than winnable game from their perspective against the Huddersfield side who have been in a rough, uh, yeah, rough run of form. I would expect Huddersfield's current injury crisis to impact personnel available to Darren Moore. I think they had six substitutes at the weekend, which may or may not alleviate um, as the week progresses uh, going into the game. But I think Hall's composure and willingness to wear down their opponent uh, opponent might be the way in here. And again, looking at the quality, it's a bit chalk and cheese again against uh, uh, from Hull to, to Huddersfield. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on this one, Justin. I think... There, you, you, 
you would imagine without looking at the fixtures that there'd be more obvious bankers than this this weekend. But it's quite a tricky weekend for bankers, isn't it? Apart from mm. mine, of course. Um, but I, I would back Hull to beat Huddersfield here. Huddersfield, are, they're just a bit of a funny side, aren't they? Where they seem to be hard to beat, but also don't seem to be getting many points on the board either. Yeah, they're just waiting for January, I think. I think it's just literally just let's grind it out until we get to January and get some get some new recruits in because they are desperate. I mean, like I said, six substitutes at the weekend for a championship squad. It's quite damning. It's not I'm not being too harsh, but you'd you know, having players available and ready, mm. even in your B team at Huddersfield should be the case, but obviously just isn't. Yeah, that squad's just incredibly thin into it and you look at who Huddersfield have been starting with recently their personnel is just quite frightening I mean young Kian Harrod mm. playing up front at times and then they had Cal Hudlin who's just a human tree up front it's it's they're down to bare bones aren't they already with a squad which is not got the greatest amount of quality in it anyway so yeah they're they're a side which are really struggling right now and who should make the most of that certainly help if they have jade and philogene back in the mix of things for the weekend my banker this weekend probably the obvious one leads to win at home to plymouth this is the kind of game which should be straightforward for leeds if they want to be serious about catching leicester and ipswich they need to win this one, and they should. It's five wins from six for them, the latest being that massive win away at Leicester. They're a brilliant side who have been frighteningly good on multiple occasions recently, and they do have a tendency to just not turn up in some games. Hopefully that doesn't happen here. But one of the most impressive things about Leeds is how well they've managed opposition sides and just shut them down. They'll need to do that against a Plymouth side who can be very dangerous. I'm a big fan of Plymouth I, I love some of the players that they've got and they're particularly very dangerous going forwards however they're also weak at the back and Leeds can really expose that with the attacking talent they've got Plymouth are also finally get a struggle on the road just three points from seven away games so everything points to a Leeds win here it'll be very championship if it's not a Leeds win but that's what I'll be going for as my banker for the weekend game's got goals in it hasn't it this this one this this could be a great I don't know because Le- Leeds are turning out to be a lot more defensively solid than they were earlier in the season. They seem to be improving more and more at the back. So I wouldn't be surprised if Leeds just shut them down ultimately, Justin. True. But again, you, we come up against a team who maybe don't have the experience that Plymouth do. There might be some complacency there from Leeds who allow Plymouth chances. I do think Leeds will win, by the way. I'm not going to disagree with that. But I at least think Plymouth will will get a couple of goals there. I mean, we saw against Middlesbrough last weekend how they just nonchalantly just just crack on, they just get on with it. Um, and if they yeah, just crack on, they go 4 0 down, we'll just crack on, we'll score two, who knows? <laughs> um, I, I will bring it down to the round to the 3 pm blackout though, and why it should be uh, abolished because I want to watch this game badly. Okay. Right. I thought you were going to go on a huge run then. <laughs> <No. laughs> it's a disgrace. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Plymouth could lay a couple of punches on Leeds, but ultimately, I think they big enough to just take those punches just absorb them and then throw a couple of haymakers back at them my outsider for the weekend is Millwall to win away at Sheffield Wednesday now if Adam Barrett was still in charge here for Millwall I would not be picking them that's no disrespect to Adam Barrett but he's not had a great time as a caretaker manager and I'm hoping for a new manager bounce 
I really like the Joe Edwards appointment, of course. It's a gamble, but it's a forward-thinking move. And Millwall have had a disappointing start to the season. So this could be the start of them beginning to get back on track. Sheffield Wednesday, much more competitive than they were earlier in the season. It's three losses from four under Danny Rule, but they like him there. The supporters recognise what he's doing um, and what he's doing with the tools that he's got at his disposal in such a short space of time. They are playing better. It's not translated too much into results just yet, but they are playing better. And Millwall can take advantage of that with a good old-fashioned new manager bounce. They also have a much better team, which I suppose counts for something in football. But that's why I'm going for a Millwall win this weekend. I was surprised to see the odds on this one, but that's perhaps a reflection on the good work that Danny Royal has done with Sheffield Wednesday. Because obviously Wednesday have slightly favourites for this. I did double-check it because I thought, what, are you, are you having me on here, Ryan? You scumbag. <laughs> um, but you are right. Wednesday are, are slight favourites. Uh, but I think again the thing that brings a lot of doubt into my mind is whether Joe Edwards can have an immediate impact you know he's not like a from what I know he's he's not an inspirational leader so that new manager bounce you know is it going to be is it going to exist under him or is it going to be a process I think it's more so going to be the latter Um, so I I, same with Danny Rule um, but I I think I I would add with Wednesday on this one um, mainly because I just think Rule's in a much better place this um, Wednesday squad than than Joe Edwards is with his with his Millwall one at you throwing even more shade at Joe Edwards, pathetic Justin. But I do, I do agree. I think Joe Edwards is a long-term appointment. He, even though he's come in, and I do rate the appointment, I'm not looking at it now thinking, oh, Millwall should get top six now. It'd be a disgrace if they don't. It's definitely a long-term thing, and I think Millwall fans expect that as well. Um, having said that, I fancy a bit of a new manager bounce here, and as long as the players can appreciate that there's some sort of a plan here, and they all you know, believe in the Joe Edwards project, then they have more than enough to beat Sheffield Wednesday because there's a lot of talent at Millwall which has not really been performing up to the standards that they have shown previously so far this season. So that's why I'm going with Millwall. Justin, what is your outsider for the weekend? Oh, baby, I've gone big. I've gone QPR to beat Bristol City at home. (laughs) Um, Yeah, shall I try and pick the bones out of this one? It is an outsider. It's a definition of an outsider. <laughs> that pause. That pause, ladies and gentlemen. I do have notes, by the way, but I'm, again, I'm sort of the doubt in my mind is just swinging around. But actually, no, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go full in here. It is. It is the definition of outsider, mainly because QPR don't win at home very often, um, and I, I'm, I'm well behind the Marty Sifuentes, um project at QPR. I think you, you, I. I if you're going to get the best out of players, you need a system to get the best out of players. And I think Sifuentes is going to do that with, with Elias Chair, especially Elias Chair. I mean, we saw him having an immediate impact on Elias Chair um, last week against Rotherham because he scored an absolute worldie. And there was there was signs of life there um, that this team can progress under him. I know it's only one game, but he's had a little bit longer than Liam Manning, who's going to come in, settle, change, change what is currently going on at Bristol City, which might be a good start for Sifuentes to come into and take advantage of. Yeah, I was a bit surprised when I saw your outsider for the weekend, Justin, and saw that you picked this. I could just not get behind QPR at all at the moment. (laughs) It was a positive showing against Rotherham. I'll give them that. But at the same time, Rotherham aren't a great side. And Bristol City are a much sterner test, particularly with the new manager, yeah, I'm just pulling a face at the league table. I just checked the QPR's home form. <laughs> Look at 
look at all these doubts. It's a new manager though, Justin. And it's it's Sifu enters his first home game. So who knows? It's going to work. It's going to work. The possession-based style is, is going to be deployed. It's going to work. Elias Chair is going to get in a lot of good positions against, against Bristol City. Liam Manning likes to deploy a similar style of play. So hopefully Sifuentes has looked at a few Oxford games and go, well, actually, if we press them quite high, we could we could achieve something here. Um, and that's about it, really. It's really hard to make a case for QPR because the stats are well against them. You can only really rely on the unmeasurables, which is Sifuentes, new style of play, new manager bounce, um, none of those have really exist either. So, yeah, QPR to win against Bristol City. I'm just going to have a, another check of the prices for the coach from Plymouth to Sunderland and back. See, uh, <laughs> see how much that's going nowadays. Now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Give me fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. And there's three questions. This week, Justin is providing the questions to me. So what have you got for me, Justin Peach, you bastard? Yeah, some good ones here. First one is I want you to list the teams with the most headed goals this season. The teams, the teams are Leicester, Preston, Watford and Norwich. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, right. I am going to start off big and put Leicester top. Okay. Um, I just think they've scored so many goals that <laughs> so there's a few headed ones in there. <laughs> um, who's the second one? Sorry. You've got Leicester, Watford, Preston and Norwich. Uh, Preston. That's an interesting one. I remember Olvajovic scored a header at the weekend. But he's only got three, and I don't know who else would have scored headers for them. Maybe a couple of the defenders. Um, I'll go with, I think Shane Duffy scored a couple of for Norwich as well. Ah. But I'll definitely go Leicester top, and mm. then I'll go Preston, Watford, Norwich. So you've gone Leicester, Preston, Watford and Norwich. Yeah. You've only got Preston in the right place. Mm, okay. Norwich, Norwich at top with seven. Quite a lot. Seven? Seven. Daniel Farker will be rolling in his grave. <laughs> Absolutely. Preston North End are second with fifth, then Leicester with four, then Watford with three. Ishmael Ball is failing. Mm. I thought Leicester might have more than that. I can't believe Norwich have got seven. That's mm. blowing my mind a bit. Fair enough. Um, next question, please, Justin. Which country has the most players in the championship currently? Portugal, Poland, Germany, the US. I'm pretty sure we did this. I did this question for you not too long ago. Different countries, but... I think I did it at the start of the season as well. It's a good one. I will... Oh, Germany or Portugal top. I'll go... Can't think of any Germans. I mean, there must be some. But for some reason, no Germans are coming to my mind. Uh, I'll go Portugal top. Okay. Then I reckon Poland might be second. I reckon there's a few more than you think. Then Germany, then the US. It's um, it's quite significantly wrong. Okay. This surprised me. The US are top with eight. Considering I asked the same question not too long ago, I should have remembered that. Then Portugal with seven. Okay. Then Poland with six. And the reason why I couldn't think of any Germans, right? Because there's only two. Ah, there you go. Who are the two? Do you remember? One of them is Patrick Bauer, and the other one is... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. 
yeah. I, I, so I didn't actually get it that wrong. I just had the US much lower than they should have been. Final one then, Justin. Most expensive items on the Greg's menu. Okay. I Go don't on. frequent Greg's very often, so I'm taking the internet. I don't get internet. Greg's. Really? I'll put it out there now. It's a, re- it's a really controversial opinion, but I've never understood the hype around Greg's. Maybe I'm just not northern enough. You're better off just getting a meal deal. Probably yeah. getting better value for your book, better quality. What is the hype? I don't get it. I understand that point. I don't. I don't eat at Greg's at all. It's all very beige food. It's not not great. Exactly. So I thought you being an unhealthy person, you might like it. But no, I just don't get it. Well, this was a bit of a dead one. Then I'll give you the. I'll give you the. Um, <laughs> I'll still have a good go at it. Yeah, I'll give you anyway. Southern fried potato wedges, barbecue chicken bites, cheese and onion pasty, and a sausage and bean melt. I don't even know where to start with them. I'll go for the pasty top. The bake second, then the bites third, and then the other one bottom. Seven fried potato wedges. You have you've just got it ever slightly wrong. Okay. The um, sausage and bean melt was top at one pound eighty, which I think is okay. pretty good value. Cheese and onion pasty at one pound seventy is next. Then barbecue chicken bites, which I thought were quite low, one pound fifty. And then bottom of the list is the southern fried potato wedges at a pound. Fair enough then. Damn. Well done, Greg's. Overrated. Uh, this has been the second tier <laughs> podcast, and that's been Scott High or Ryan Lowe. We'll be back again on Sunday for us to discuss all the weekend's games in the Championship. And then it's international break again, isn't it? God, <sighs> how many international breaks do we bloody need? Flipping heck. Um, so we'll talk about the Championship again this coming weekend uh, before another two weeks of oblivion um, as always if you wouldn't mind giving us a five star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on helps us go a long way to growing as a podcast and we bloody appreciate it if you do that so thank you very much this has been the second tier podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been just speech and a big thank you for listening Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.